0: My name is Rebecca Lee. I'm with Greggie in Los Angeles in Sunrise Movement. I'm asking the City Council to stand with the IELTS yet hollow version of the Los Angeles Green New Deal. Real climate justice protects labor, it creates jobs, it protects jobs, and it makes the air safe for those workers to breathe. The choice between labor and the environment is a false choice, and we need a real Green New Deal in Los Angeles. Thank you. Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly Knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the ILWU showing up at City Hall today. Some very scary news recording hydrofluoric acid in both oil refineries and the air we breathe. Updates around Ben Carson's proposed changes to some housing and urban development departmental rules surrounding mixed status families. That's quite a mouthful. Our recurring segment, Cops, You Guys. And then a quick update on AB 516 before we check out a couple of articles in our new reading series. How's it going, Bushido?
1: Uh, It's going pretty well. It was a a really long week, uh, especially with two debates in the Democratic primaries. (laughs) <laughs> uh the first one I found more interesting than the second. Uh, I I ended up hosting uh okay. watch parties for Sunrise Phoenix uh for both nights. Uh, and they yeah. both went over really really well. Uh, it was really fun. Uh nice. also a bunch of sunrisers in Philly were camped out in front of the DNC HQ there demanding that we get a climate debate. Uh Gold. Bernie Sanders sent them yes. some pizza. The Sierra Club sent them some yes. uh cupcakes. Uh, all around <laughs> it was like a big win and the the change the debate movement that they're fronting is having a real impact at this point, 15 of the 20 candidates that are on the stage have taken the no fossil fuel money pledge, meaning that they won't take any donations over $200 from any PACs connected to fossil fuel companies or from executives. Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. So they won't take any big money from fossil fuel companies, uh, which is a really big win. Like when we started this and we said like, hey, who will pledge to be on the the stage of the climate debate? Who will reject fossil fuel money? We thought we would get a couple of candidates and instead we've gotten almost the entire field on our side and we're also getting a lot of local cl- candidates yeah. uh, not to toot your own horn too much but you took the fossil fuel money <laughs> pledge very early in your campaign yeah. and, and a bunch of Absolutely. other like local and down ballot candidates from across the country have taken it so Sunrise is having a real electoral impact here and I'm super excited to see it. Uh, from what I hear we're going to be seeing more and more actions and this is like going to accelerate not just because the climate change is accelerating and the climate crisis is becoming more dire. If you've been paying attention to right. Europe. Uh, remember, in <laughs> 2003, 15,000 people died in Europe from the insane heat wave. This time around, they've already charted a, a couple dozen deaths in France and Spain and Italy. Uh, Paris Wait, today. How many died last year? Uh, no, in 2003, it was 15,000. Fifty. Wow. Yeah. No, because remember, like That's Europe insane. is older. They don't have the same air conditioning oh, that we do. Oh, oh, they, oh, oh, yeah! yeah like yeah. a lot of older people, a lot of people uh, who are more vulnerable had no way to like cool off. and They're not as used to having like cooling yeah. centers and stuff like we do here in the Southwest or on the West Coast.
0: Wasn't it? Uh, it was a couple of hundred uh, old folks in Japan died like last year in the yeah. heat wave as well, right?
1: Yeah, and th- they're the same ah, folks who. This is who, the future we live in. In in uh, Phoenix last year, uh, over a hundred people died from. Heat-related deaths, including a woman named Stephanie oh Pullman, who died uh, mm-hmm. because APS, one of our power utilities here, one of the private monopolies that runs a public utility, uh, something that you and oh, I fine. gripe about all the time. But APS, yeah, no, we've never talked about that. Ha! APS <laughs> uh, cut off her power on a day when it was 107 no, degrees. No. Hold on, over 51 dollars. She got a 176 dollar bill. Are you- She got a $176 bill. She could only pay $125 of it. APS said that they had called her and tried to contact her before they shut off her power. When she passed away, her family went through all of the records and found that APS never contacted her. The CEO of APS, Don Brandt, makes $12 million a year, which means he makes $51 every 30 seconds. So for 30 seconds worth of his workday, a woman died. And we know that more than 100 people died last year. We're expecting more than 100 people will die this year. We know that the people who are unhoused in cities like Phoenix and Las Vegas and L.A. when the heat gets really high, they're especially vulnerable. They don't have access to water, to shade, to cooling. Uh, We know in L.A., LAPD makes you take down your tent after 6 a.m. So in the heat of the day, you don't have shade. You don't have any way to get out of the sun. And this is just going to keep accelerating and getting worse. But in Paris today, a bunch of Extinction Rebellion protesters blocked one of the main thoroughfares uh, that leads to sort of the center of town and where where the Notre Dame Cathedral is. They were tear gassed at point blank range by Paris police today. The video is very shocking to see cuz these are completely peaceful protesters they're literally just sitting there and like that pepper spray cop at UC Davis a guy just walks up with yeah. a canister of tear gas and sprays it in their face are you- it's it's this uh, kind of regressive policing that's only going to lead to more and more direct actions because this doesn't deter us this doesn't deter people if anything it builds no. their motivation to want to fight against this stuff and save their neighbors so this is going to be I mean, a really I'm long hot summer here. and there's going to be a lot more actions coming so uh, to kind of tie this together the, the change the debate movement and the sunrise watch parties of which there were more than a hundred across this nation went off really really yeah. really well so if you want to keep up to date. I was at one of them it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was it was really good and it's it, if you want to keep up, you know, check out sunrise.la or sorry, it's sunrise.losangeles on Instagram, sunrisemvmtla on Twitter. Check out Sunrise Movement Phoenix on Instagram, and then Sunrise MVMT PHX on Twitter to keep up with what we're doing here, uh, and also just Sunrise MVMT to keep in, keep looped in with the national movement, because there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening. We need more people out there. You know, when it comes down to it, yeah. a movement for social change has never been defeated if they can get 3.5% of the population to actively participate. That means in America, to change everything that. across the nation, we want 11 million people actively engaged, and we're getting there, but we're getting there by leaps and bounds, and we've still got several leaps and bounds to go. So I hope you all will, will go ahead and uh, throw in with that and at least like, keep apprised and do some signal boosting for us. Uh, you yourself had a really, really big day. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the ILWU really? and what's going down at the <laughs> Port of fun. LA and uh, City Hall.
0: Uh, yeah, so I think Becca really summarized it best while saying that after today she just genuinely wants to find a union and be a part of it because oh man, was it great. So um, a little bit of background here of what's going on is that uh, something like a week ago, the uh, port Commission, the Commissioner, the Board of Commissioners for the Port of Los Angeles gave a an automation permit to uh, Maersk uh, which is the Danish transport company's subsidiary APM terminals uh, APM terminals is then using that that permit to basically start automating uh, a ton of jobs at the port in the name of electrification and uh, environmental protection. so their whole gist with all of this is that these gigantic robotic container movers are a way that they're going to be able to move forward with uh, electrifying and, and cleaning up the pollution that is produced by the movement of uh, cargo and goods around the port. And
1: there is there and is something to be said for that, as like the Port of L.A. is one of the biggest polluters in the Southland, but it doesn't oh yeah. seem like they're doing this in a very like fair or just way, and it seems more like an end run around the unions than actual environmental concern.
0: Very much so. So what what ends up happening here is that Uh, The ILWU felt that they had been uh, completely screwed over by this process because they had been. And so uh, they appealed to try to get City Hall to get involved. And uh, there was a motion that was put forward by Joe Buscaino from CD15, which is that long, super skinny segment of the city uh, in this bizarre I don't want to say it's gerrymandering because it's not really gerrymandering so much as somebody made a very bizarre map for the city of Los Angeles. Well, but they also uh, consciously decided
1: to keep the Port of LA in LA because they want that revenue.
0: Exactly. So the, the Port of Los Angeles is basically like a southern outpost of the city of LA, and then they had to connect it to the rest of the city of LA. And so there's this really skinny uh, city council district that is represented by Joe Buscaino, um, and it includes like Wilmington and uh, the areas in San Pedro and all that down there at the port. And then it just runs up in this very narrow corridor along the 110 freeway. And uh, so, anyway, Buscaino uh, partnered up with uh, Mike Bonin, who represents CD 11, to introduce a motion that would effectively uh assert a uh not i don't want to say dominion but assert jurisdiction of the city of los angeles related to this uh this permit that was issued and then uh following up w- the assertion of that jurisdiction then they would veto the existing uh p- the, the existing permit that that the uh, port authority had granted or not port authority. The border commissioners rather had granted to Maersk and their their subsidiary APM uh, terminals and basically just say no, you cannot do what it is that you are doing. And so it was this incredible experience to go like show up at City Hall and there were protesters all over the place because the union folks showed up in force. Uh, it was so packed at City Hall that they the fire marshal was literally not letting anyone into the main City Hall chambers. Uh, and if you've ever been to City Hall chambers, it's a pretty big space. There's a lot of room in there for folks to gather. I, I think it's like a 350 or 400 person capacity inside. And the police were just the LAPD and the fire marshal literally were just saying no, you can't come in. Um, I had to wait for a while to be able to get in myself, but uh, ended up being able to, to get in there eventually. And it was a, uh, it was, it was pretty cool to see. I've never seen city hall that packed before. And, uh, they got, they were very, actually very well disciplined in terms of when they were cheering and shouting. Yep. Uh, and it, it, everything went off, uh, in a very controlled manner. It was, it was much more, uh, calm and collected than what I've seen when there have been more, contentious issues like when when two sides of a debate are showing up to argue at City Hall. It's a different story. But this this was purely a single side on an issue that showed up uh, and they very much had all of the folks from City Council on their side. It it was a, a unanimous vote in the end and uh, a lot of very impassioned speeches from both the members of council as well as all the folks that came to give public comment. Uh, We had two folks who are Ground Game members as well as members of Sunrise Los Angeles who were able to get themselves onto the, uh, the speaker queue to give public comment and were able to get up there and talk about the fact that what Garcetti is talking about when he is discussing a green new deal in Los Angeles is really a half-baked version of what a green new deal actually entails. Yeah, Becca's—they were Becca's, able to get up there.
1: Becca's quote about uh, there being a divide between labor and environmental justice being a false choice is so on the Absolutely. money. Like that is pretty much everything. Economy, baby.
0: Exactly. So what it really came down to was that uh, Becca and John got up there and talked about exactly what it means to include a just transition, which is a core element of the Green New Deal that we're talking about all the time. And the fact that Garcetti ignored it when he was talking about uh, what he wanted to do and the, this future that he envisioned for shutting down the gas plants in uh, Los Angeles, which we celebrated the the idea of shutting these down because we need to shut them down. We need to move away from a fossil fuel energy future. uh, But at the same time, we need to protect the workers whose jobs and families financial security is dependent upon those factories and and, uh, a gas fired uh, power stations continuing to operate. So we cannot just shut things down and expect people to just like pick up and, and and move on to something else. We need to make sure that there is a way for them to transition from those previous fossil fuel or extractive technology uh, industries into something where it's a green energy solution that is truly a sustainable future for our species and our cities and, and states like that. We definitely are keeping in mind the, a more holistic approach to this than what it is that Garcetti was pushing
1: and this is also something that like has always struck me as weird when I'm I'm talking to to labor folks about the Green New Deal and they're like you're yeah. gonna cost us jobs and it's like you know when you no. look at when a when you look at how no. a coal mine that's owned by like a billionaire shuts down they don't provide job security once that mine is no longer profitable no. they just shut no, no, the no. mine like North Dakota yeah. had a huge problem where they had a boom for a few years and brought in a whole bunch of jobs oh, and no. then as soon as those those oil Oil wells were no longer profitable, those jobs just stopped happening and there was no no money paid to the workers who were now out of a job, who or who were like basically displaced from that industry. You know, a lot of folks like ended up in North Dakota and then couldn't leave because their only source of income just up and disappeared on them. And that's literally the opposite of what the Green New Deal is trying to achieve, whether it's through Absolutely. job training, whether it's through mitigation and cleanup efforts, whatever it is, we want to provide a future for people who are no longer Working in oil and gas and like dirty jobs, we—it's not like, hey, you've been an oil and gas worker and now we want you to just like languish in retirement and have nothing to do. It's like, no, there are productive no. ways for us to use your <laughs> skills to fix the planet, to better society, we've to got, better yourselves. We've got
0: shit to do, dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you if you watch that letter from the future uh, video that that AOC put oh, out, like so she talks good. about that, and that's the yeah, vision that absolutely. we're putting forward. And instead, we see companies like Maersk who only want to pad their profit margins. And they know that like keeping union workers on retraining workers, getting people new skills is not going to make them as much money because that means money is going to workers instead of profits. Yeah. And Maerskis is
0: to, to, to quote really quick to quote the, uh, comrade Mike Bonin, uh, the forces of international capital are trying to divide the environmentalists from labor, but continue.
1: Right on the money, like 100%. What we're seeing is the folks who only want profit know that us having solidarity is going to cut into their profits because we're going to dismantle their businesses for the better. So, like, I'm really excited to hear about the union power that was built there. Also to hear, you know, city council always votes in lockstep, but, like, this is one of the times when it was, you know, very symbolic and meaningful and, like, really cool. Yeah. And, like, don't forget, there's power in a union, there's a reason the Koch brothers oh, yeah. want to gut all the unions.
0: Yeah, there were people like the the level of energy in that room, like people were literally crying about what was going on because of the impact that this could have on their future. Like there was there's a guy that runs a pizza shop that showed up and when he was talking about like the what's their most popular pizza, it's the Longshoreman pizza. There was a huge roar of support from this entire hall filled with union folks like it was intense. The level of energy was uh, honestly uh, infectious. It was it was an incredible experience. So and the the short version of what ended up happening is that there was a lot of discussion. Uh, Mike Bonin made a bunch of very good technical points explaining why what the uh, port the the board of commissioners for the port had done was was not in compliance with the rules and allowing the city, the city of Los Angeles to assert their authority. That's a fun little tongue twister, asserting their authority relating to the fact that it is public uh, space that belongs to the city. And it is, uh, through their, uh, uh, eventual, it, it all—it basically, it's all coming down to the fact that the city owns the property. It's for the public yeah. good, and for that reason, all of the things that the uh, port authority or the—sorry, the board of commissioners—I keep screwing that one up—the uh, board of commissioners for the for the port of Los Angeles were considering. Was done incorrectly because they were taking a look at it from purely environmental perspectives instead of actually having to discuss it on the economic impact of what it was going to have for the city as well as for the local community. Yeah. And basically the whole thing was that they they found a way to great have this great technicality uh, overturning of what had happened. And it was... Uh, a a, a thrilling experience to be a part of that and to be able to sit there and and watch what was happening and cheer them along as it was going on. It was great.
1: That's a Uh, huge win. Highly recommend it.
0: Unions are amazing.
1: (laughs) No, it's a a huge win, but it's also something we're going to have to be on the lookout for because Maersk has shown that they don't want to play by the rules anyways. So they're going to still try and get around this and they're still going to try and assert their authority. So I know this fight isn't over, but like this was a very meaningful battle and the side of Justice
0: Yeah, it was honestly like all of the speeches, all of the discussions, all of the cheering. It was fantastic. There's lots of videos. We'll be posting stuff over the course of the rest of the weekend. Yeah, Uh, it was good. Wish you all could have been there because (laughs) like Becca said, (laughs) everyone should join a union because it sounds amazing.
1: No, that's that's cool. Let's uh, let's move on to talk about some other dirty jobs because this is not the only environmental labor kind of conflict that's going on right now. Uh, So let's start this off by talking about what went down in Philly, which was a super scary situation.
0: Oh, yeah. So it was early on the morning of Friday, June 21st. Uh, I think it was like 4.30 or 5 in the morning um, in Philadelphia. There was this massive explosion. And we're talking a fireball that was of incredible proportions. Uh, a bunch of like dash cam and cell phone videos from folks driving down the freeway that they had recorded it and they were uploading it. They were sending off to CNN and uh, fun enough. The headline on CNN a couple of days later read, quote, giant explosion rocks largest refinery complex on the East Coast sends gasoline prices higher. So, of course, no one's worried about what the environmental or, uh, you know, civic costs of having a giant explosion at a refinery in South Philadelphia might be. They're just concerned about the fact that the gasoline prices are going to be going higher, at least CNN.
1: One thing that's really fun about this that, like, very few people have mentioned in the mainstream media uh, or in, like, corporate media is that even when this refinery is operating as normal, it is the biggest source of air pollution in all of Philadelphia, Like, even when it's doing everything right and not bursting into flames, it is the greatest danger to human health in that entire city. Like, that is so messed up that we have these things sitting in the middle of our cities. And as we'll get to in a minute, uh, this is happening right here in L.A. But uh, let's let's go ahead and talk about kind of some of the dangers that Philly presented so he can contextualize
0: this. (laughs) We are just so good at picking out these, like, lighthearted topics of discussion and Filling people's hearts with joy about all of the wonderful things that are happening because corporations just love to treat us all like people. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Oh, you laugh because there's nothing else you can do. All right. So the early morning fire sent shockwaves for miles and rained debris on neighbor on nearby neighborhoods, sparking fears about hydrofluoric acid and the damage it could cause. Literally, they would could melt your entire body uh, because it's an incredibly toxic chemical. Yes. And when it's uh, vaporized, it's really, really, really bad. Uh, So what we're talking about here is a three alarm fire that required 120 firefighters at the Philadelphia Energy Solutions company, refinery, to keep the blaze from spreading further. So this company, Philadelphia Energy Solutions, was created from a joint venture between the Carlisle Group, which is a company that you should know about if you've never heard of them before. Uh, Look them up in relation to everything that went down with Iraq and Afghanistan and you're going to get really depressed.
1: Spoiler alert, it's the Bush family. (laughs) The Carlisle Group is the Bush family.
0: (laughs) we're going to start doing our own dollop stuff here in a minute. Um, and Sunoco, which is, uh, another company, uh, I, I'm, we'll dig into them later and emerged from bankruptcy last August. Carlisle still owns 10% of the facility and energy transfer partners, uh, holds 8% of the stake, according Wait. to sources.
1: Where have, where have I heard the name energy transfer partners? Oh, that's right. Dapple. They're the folks behind Dapple. Not oh, only are they trying good. to poison all the water, no. not only are they pushing native and indigenous tribes off of their land, they're also trying to blow up Philadelphia. I mean Uh I like No. No. Why?
0: No. I okay. Uh so Sunoco is telling these folks that the refinery was a former facility but of theirs, but that they no longer have any ties to the complex. Uh, we don't necessarily believe them.
1: I mean, um, I, I think in, they, they have to file stuff like that. And they say they probably still have some investment in there some way yeah. because like, that money tends to get like muddled in weird ways. But to bring this home to L.A. and as to like why you should really care about this as somebody who lives in L.A. is we have two refineries that sit in the middle of our neighborhoods, that use the same hydrofluoric acid process to refine gasoline the uh phillips 66 refinery up in carson and then the exxon refinery uh or sorry, the Chevron refinery down in Torrance. Now, the hydrofluoric acid, as Chris mentioned, uh, is super dangerous when it gets into the air because it can literally create a skin-melting fog. So if you've seen that Simpsons, like, Treehouse of Horror with the fog that, like, turns everybody inside out, it's that but real life, sitting in the middle of Torrance and Carson. And this is particularly important because within about two weeks, that uh, refinery in Carson... Had two massive fires, like in an insane oh, yeah. coincidence, That's and the like one both that of those times, of their
0: things kept burning.
1: Yeah, and so those fires and the the fire at the uh, Phil- at the um, uh, Philadelphia refinery were both linked to benzene. So it was a benzene tank that exploded oh, somehow, and like it's because of the secrecy <laughs> that we grant fossil fuel companies for their quote, proprietary Can processes because we, we don't want other that. people stealing the way that they make the gasoline that's killing us all. Uh, we allow them to keep a lot of this hidden from the public view because it will scare the crap out of you. Like, I uh, I-, I notice on my Spotify, they like Spotify still thinks that I'm in L.A. sometimes. Um even though like my mm-hmm. phone is clearly pinging cell towers in phoenix but i will get ads yeah. from chevron talking about how they're making the torrance refinery really really safe and all i can think is Yay. like if you're spending enough money to try and convince the public that this refinery is safe it's probably super dangerous <laughs> yeah.
0: and this is not <laughs> That's like not a good sign
1: no and this is not a new fight like community groups have been fighting for years to get them to change this process And both Philips and uh, uh, Chevron have argued that it would cost too much money to stop using hydrofluoric acid, that it would cost them jobs because the engineers and the workers who are trained to work with hydrofluoric acid wouldn't be able to go over to the new process. It's like, no, you could just train them. Like, if they're smart enough to learn all the petrochemical like skills to be able to refine gasoline they could be trained in new skills like that could totally happen and also would prevent the release of skin melting fog and the alternative processes yeah. are proven safer Like, we know what the safe alternative is here. It's not like one is dangerous and the other one's equally as dangerous. It's like one is super dangerous and one is very much less dangerous. Let's do the one that doesn't make a skin melting fog and put up gigantic fireballs that cover a city. Like, this is. But,
0: Bushido, you've got to remember that one costs more money.
1: I know. It's so dumb. Ah, but it's 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 this the same, you know. And it's funny because when you listen to Chevron and you listen to Phillips, and they're like, "Oh, it's going to cost jobs." They're trying to drive that wedge between people who want a livable planet and people who want a secure and stable, uh, you know, source of employment. And those things aren't at odds. They're really, really not. You can have people employed and not create skin melting fog. Uh, and this was also a big thing uh, with the the bomb trains that have been outlawed going through a lot of cities because these trains that carry chemicals to refineries that carry the unprocessed crude are literally bombs on wheels. And a couple of them like caught fire and blew up and obliterated towns. Like the largest explosion in American history was an oil tanker, uh, that went off. It may have been in Canada actually, uh, but went off, uh, in, um, I think a bay in New York. I'm not, I'm too lazy to wikipedia this but basically it was a bomb sitting on an ocean uh that exploded and leveled a oh. town like this has happened before in american history and we know how to avoid this stuff we're just choosing not to uh but it seems like city council is is making some pushes to do this but it's also hard because the way that the fossil fuel industries are regulated are, are beyond LA's control completely and like As much as we have council members like Bonin who want to see this changed, there's only so much pressure that they can apply. Like we need the state and we need the federal government to come through and force these changes to happen, which again, they have the power of fiat. They could just outlaw the hydrofluoric acid process and solve the skin melting fog problem, but they won't and probably linked to all of the donations they get from fossil fuel money companies. So yeah, that's a fun one. So remember when you're voting in the primaries and in the general election that people who don't take money from fossil fuel industry, they're good. They're very good folks. They're the folks who want to protect you from the skin melting fog. Yeah.
0: So let's move from that topic of extremely (laughs) depressing nature to another one where we're talking about the potential for 55,000 children uh, being made homeless because Ben Carson... Is an asshole.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to, let me add some context to this. So, when you think about public housing, a lot of people don't know how that works. And so, Public housing. Uh, when you move into it, you have a guaranteed uh, ceiling on your rent. You only have to pay thirty percent of your income to live in public housing. And so, like, if you make more money, the cost of your rent goes up. But like, as long as you're making the same amount of money, the cost of your rent won't go up. This doesn't apply to people who are undocumented or live in uh, mixed status families. So, like, if you have a family where one of the parents is undocumented and the other one's a citizen, that family by definition, is paying 60% of their rent to live in public housing. Like, these are families that are de facto rent burdened. Uh, And face eviction, like, when we, uh, through power, we worked with a woman on a cruise who was going to get evicted from her place because she got, she finally kicked out her abusive ex-husband, and the city was like, oh, or the county, rather, was like, oh, if he's no longer here, you have to move out. And Anna was able to fight a little oh, bit. Yeah, uh, we I learned that Hackla had no way to take an abusive spouse off of the yeah. lease. It also turned out yeah. that her abusive alcoholic ex-husband had been lying about his income. So when she was trying to negotiate oh, with the county oh, to stay yeah. there, yeah, when she was trying to negotiate with the county to stay in the house, she uh, the, a the bunch county. Of back rent. Well, yeah, the county went and audited his earnings. It was like, oh, you've underreported your income for years. And instead of saying he's on the line for it, they were like, Anna, since you're the one who wants to live there, you're now on the line for him lying about his income for all these years. She also kicked her 21-year-old daughter, who is undocumented, out of the house to try and save the house for the rest of the family for her three underage children. Wasn't enough for Hakla. She ended up losing the house. We weren't able to save that one for her. But now we're facing that in a much more massive scale. Scale because HUD doesn't just want to charge these people more money; they want to kick them out onto the street. But we have some local action that's coming off to try and stop this. So let's let's talk about that presser that you were at.
0: Yeah. So on Wednesday morning, I was at a press conference that was held by Ground Game Los Angeles and uh, people organizing for the for Westside Renewal. Uh, so it was a, jo- a joint press conference that we held along with six members of the Los Angeles City Council. Uh, as well as the CEO of the Los Angeles Homelessness Services Agency, LASA, and the CEO of the Housing Authority of the City of Los Angeles, HACLA. So uh, we apologize for the fact that there are so many acronyms in this alphabet soup of these organizations, but this is just the world in which we live, and please (laughs) bear with us. Um, basically we had, uh, the, the press conference was, was being, uh, emceed by one of our own folks from ground game, Charlie peppers, who did a fantastic job up there on the microphone. And he introduced the various members of city council and also talked about how this issue, uh, hits home for him because he is living in a low income housing uh, apartment where the landlord was trying to push these massive rent spikes for him and all of his neighbors. Uh, it turns out, fortunately, that since that press conference, their situation has been resolved because it turns out that their, their landlord was operating illegally and was trying to push these increases uh, well before their, the covenant was going to expire, which meant that the action was illegal. So and, and the, the
1: covenant issue this is something we've talked about with the Hillside Villa tenants yeah. uh that this oh, is yeah, something yeah. that's going this to be happening big. across LA because a lot of these uh housing covenants came into play in the late earlys and uh, late earlys sorry the late 80s and the <laughs> early 90s so we're going to be facing more and more waves of this but the the other thing about Charlie Pepper's story that really gives me hope is his building wasn't organized before this rent increase He got to know ground game. He got to know power. He's been holding, he's a a screenwriter and he's been using our office as part of a, you know, sort of a community center to like do readings and do writing and come by and hang out. Him connecting with us showed him that it's possible to organize as tenants. Now that they're yeah. organized, they're not going to unorganize. They're not going to forget the yeah. lessons that they learned or the power that they, they exercised. And now this the is Land why Lord we're doing this stuff. Them. Like, you can seize power and make positive changes in your life and it was really great to have him up there giving the the doing the MC and like hosting as it were because we saw some really powerful speeches especially from the CEO of Hackla who was literally brought to tears at the prospect of thousands of angelinos losing their home for no reason like we're facing massive spikes in homelessness and Ben Carson's HUD wants to increase homelessness more
0: yeah and the one of the most important things to remember with all of this is that the federal housing and urban development uh, department is not spending a single federal dime on financing the rent and subsidizing the rent for any of these folks who have uh, are undocumented. So evicting these families uh, would increase the burden on the federal housing authorities because what it means is that the, so the, if you're, if you're undocumented, you end up having to pay market rate for your portion of the rent, which yep. means that in these mixed income, these mixed status families, um, the mixed status individuals, those who do not have their proper documentation to to qualify for the federal uh, subsidies, they have to pay market rent. So if you evict the whole family, you're now losing that market rate subsidy or market rate uh, income to the building, which then means that the federal government is going to have to pay more to whoever it is that owns that building in order to put more people into that space. So this doesn't help This helps literally nobody. All it is is vindictive bullshit coming out of the Trump administration. Nobody benefits. Literally nobody benefits. But if you read the SF, the San Francisco Chronicle, they had an opinion piece that was published uh, yesterday or this morning that was just absolutely spewing a bunch of complete bullshit on the other side of this saying that, you know, this was a thing that's going to save the federal government a bunch of money. It's like, no. You, you fundamentally do not understand how it is that the Housing and Urban Development Department works and how the funding for public housing works. And it's a shock, a shock, I tell you, that a bunch of rich, entitled white folks from San Francisco have no idea how public housing works in this country. Absolutely well, it, shocked, I tell you.
1: Well, and it's 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 amazing too when you look back at the federal government shutdown because Ben Carson was like, "Oh yeah, no, it's fine, it's great." You know, it, it, it's not going to affect HUD. It turns out that HUD almost ran out of money to pay yeah, Section Jesus. Eight subsidized vouchers, and if they did that, there were literally <sighs> landlords who knew that was going to happen and started sending pre eviction letters to people like, "Hey, yeah. if you miss that the next month's uh, rent payment because the federal government can't like fill in the gap between your income and what you." owe me and rent, we're gonna evict you immediately. And they knew that they could Basically. get these families out and replace them with market rate families and just make a ton more money and not care that people are ending up on the street where they're going to die. Like it's just the same cycle of taking housing away from people, not providing any sort of solution or alternative, and also the fact that the guy who runs HUD was so stupid that he didn't know what was going to happen. Like, he hadn't done the math, and his own staff had to tell him, no, no, this is going to be really, really bad for the people that we're here to serve. Because HUD isn't supposed to be punitive, and Carson wants to run HUD in a punitive, moralizing way, where he's like, oh, if we just, like, threaten to put people on the street or make them homeless, then that will grow their moral fiber. And it's, it's yeah. this disgusting misreading of what his job is supposed to be, and also absolute incompetence and malfeasance in his position, you know, like, I, I still, my mind boggles that anyone could watch Ben Carson in those GOP primary debates <laughs> and think that guy should run a federal agency.
0: So and what we're happened. really saying here, folks, and what it we're happened. really saying is that Ben Carson is absolutely the single most qualified individual that the entire Trump administration has been able to find to run our entire public housing program in this country let that one sink in.
1: Yeah. And this one, uh, we'll. I'll put the link in the description uh, for where you can go to submit public comment to HUD to tell them to not do this.
0: Keep-families-together.org.
1: Yes. And we need to just keep submitting comments. We've got 7,000 now Excellent. and that number's grown. We want 14, 20, 50,000, as many people as we can to get to sign this.
0: Exactly. So what's really fun here is that if, the, uh, if, each, if each comment that is submitted is more than something like 30% different, uh, the folks at HUD have to respond individually to each one, which means that if they get lazy and they decide not to respond, we can sue them and if we sue yep. them we can stop them and if we stop them we can prevent them from evicting people and it burdening our 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 our, uh, our poor communities our immigrant communities our mixed fam- mixed status families from having to deal with the fact that they're going to be evicted and put out onto the street and become homeless and frankly folks that's a great freaking reason to be suing the the government
1: for this and having filled Do one it. of these yeah and having filled one of these out myself it's not hard No, it's not hard, but there's also like you have your intro paragraph and then there's a section that says insert your own comments here. And you only need to write five, maybe six lines in order for that to be 30 percent different from the rest of them. And there's a section there that says, like, put your own comment in here and you put that in there and then it's got the same concluding paragraph. Go and do that. It'll take you like 10 to 15 minutes. If you if you spend a decent amount of time on it, it's not that hard. Send it in. Every comment really, really counts. And the the public records laws and the fact that like this is a federal government agency means that they're ethically and legally bound to operate in a certain way. Knowing how those laws work, having knowledge of those inner workings of government gives us a lot of power. This is a really easy way to step in. Tell all of your friends to do it. Share the hell out of it on Twitter and Facebook, ambush random people on the street with your laptop and tell them to not evict families. (laughs) You know, it's very hard to meet someone who hears like, hey, the federal government's going to evict families. Do you think that's a good idea? Most people will say, no, that's a terrible idea. Um, Exactly. Except for like the most virulent, racist and ridiculous people. But we don't really care whether they submit comments or not. Yeah. Uh, Actually, we'll talk about them right now. That's kind of harsh, but not really. Oh, oh.
0: (laughs) all right. Well, with that, let's move on to our recurring segment.
1: Cops, you guys. And and before we get into that, Uh, I do promise we are getting a bumper from Ace. He just hasn't done it yet, but we're going to keep pressuring him over that. But so let's go ahead and talk about the (laughs) uh, Sheriff's Oversight Commission, which is civilians who oversee the Sheriff's Department for uh, L.A. County. Uh, They have some power, but not all the power we want them to have, and they tend to get stonewalled uh, by the Sheriff's Department, both under McDonnell and under uh, Villanueva. Uh, But let's talk about what's been going down there, because it's uh, also frustrating and maddening.
0: So we're not going to go into it in too much detail, but what ended up effectively happening is that the sheriff's department was supposed to be discussing what the hell had happened regarding uh, Ryan Twyman and the fact that sheriff's deputies unloaded 34 rounds uh, in his general direction and uh, killed him when he was just sitting in a car in a parking lot at an apartment complex in the unincorporated portion of Los Angeles County. And during the hearing where they were talking about Ryan Twyman, as long with a couple of other shootings that had happened, because there's, Uh, there are so many shootings that are happening. It's this just keeps happening. Um, Anyway, while they were doing the discussion about Ryan Twyman, uh, one of the activists in the room was uh, apparently hit over the head with a sign by a white supremacist. At some point shortly thereafter, uh, the activist seized the sign, ran back to a trash can and threw the sign away uh, the Sheriff's Deputies then decided to detain the activist, uh, escort the white supremacist out of the facility, shut down the entire hearing, and everything devolved into chaos. So it's it, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. And on top of all this, while this discussion was happening, while this white supremacist was, was apparently hitting an activist over the head with a sign, there were like 20 sheriff's cars, uh, SUVs that showed up at one gateway plaza right next to union station, uh, which is the little U uh, shaped courtyard in front of this, uh, office building where the, uh, sheriff's oversight committee holds its hearings and, or some of his hearings at least. So, it was, it was a surreal experience. I I actually got there just a few minutes after this all went down and everybody's tensions were very high. Uh, we couldn't get it. I couldn't get into the room. I couldn't really tell exactly what had happened. Uh, there were a lot of discussions between lawyers and folks involved with the committee. And, uh, what ended up happening at the end of all of this was the white supremacist was already gone. The activist eventually was released from being detained. And, uh, I guess it was a no harm, no foul kind of a situation. Uh, but the, yeah, this, this is just a a taste of what is to come because, uh, the sheriff's deputies apparently just cannot stop shooting folks. So, uh, on that particular note, uh, what happened, what happened last night, literally last night was just before 11 PM. 18-year-old Paul Rea became the latest victim of the Los Angeles Depart- Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Uh, deputies stopped a vehicle in which Rea was the passenger just before 11 p.m. last night, Thursday, June 27th, on the 300 block of South Gerhardt Avenue. Deputies are claiming that the passenger in the car, uh, which was Rea, uh, stepped out of the vehicle and apparently started fighting with a deputy uh, and that he was then shot. Uh, oof, this is just absolutely disturbing and disgusting. Uh, yeah. Rhea's grandmother, Irene Garcia told CBS two quote, they're not dogs, whether they're doing something bad, you shoot them and punish them after, but you don't shoot them down like a dog and quote. And it's, this is a,
1: one thing about this that was mentioned in that same article by the family is that Rhea is yeah. like five feet tall and not yeah. like a big built guy. He's not is, like a is, welterweight in MMA. So the fact that he would be any kind of a threat to a sheriff's deputy who's carrying multiple non-lethals and wearing Kevlar is really quite the assertion on the sheriff's, on the deputy's like side. It's it's one of these where you're, you're just kind of like, you know, it's like when cops shoot dogs because the dog barked at them and they're like, that was a threat. And- the level of threat that a cop has to feel in order to kill someone is way too low. And this is something they were hoping to address with AB 392, but it got gutted. Uh, So hopefully more public pressure and more like asking of questions and demanding that these officers lose their job for this sort of behavior is the only way we're going to fix this for now, at least until Sacramento steps up and takes actual action to bring accountability to our policing.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's literally all we have to look forward to at this point. It's this is extremely depressing. This this keeps happening week after week after week, and it it there does not seem to be any end in sight. So let's <laughs> something's, yeah, gotta that, happen, something's gotta yeah, happen, folks. some has gotta yeah.
1: And and this is again, you know, this is. Uh, it, I think by my count, it's my the running count I'm trying to keep in my head. I wanna say the seventh death at the hands of cops in LA County in the past two weeks. Uh, that's a lot of people getting shot by the cops. Like in one in literally the span of forty-eight hours, LAPD and the Sheriff's Department killed five people. Five people in forty-eight hours. That's an insane amount of people being killed in that short a period of time. And like When we look at a city like New York that has more cops and more people in it, their police don't kill nearly as many people. We can then look at a city like Phoenix that has fewer people, fewer cops, and... Phoenix has the deadliest cops per capita in the nation. Like for some reason, out here in the West, especially Southern California, our police are incredibly, incredibly deadly. Uh and these are cultural problems that have to be addressed at the top. And Michael Moore is definitely not taking care of that. Villanueva is definitely not taking care of that. No, it's it's disturbing and it's something we're just going to have to keep yelling about and getting upset about because we all should be upset about this. Because this is the money that we're paying to our government being used to murder our neighbors, and once that so, happens, the families are faced with the funeral costs, with the costs of trying to get answers from the the sheriff's department and LAPD. They get yeah. stonewalled by the police commission, which has literal billionaires on it, uh, literal billionaires uh, and Steve and multimillionaires so who who literally invest mm-hmm. invest in private prisons. So. We know the carceral state doesn't work. We know this isn't helping. And it keeps costing young men of color their lives. And I don't understand how that builds these communities or how that feeds these opportunity zones as the government likes to talk about in underserved communities, like yeah. there's an opportunity there. Uh, it just is is a failure of leadership at so many levels. And it largely is, is fed by the amount of money that our police unions uh, have to throw at the political process. And until we stop the police unions from being able to advocate that way, we're going to see politicians that kowtow to them. And and this is just going to keep getting coverage.
0: Absolutely. So one of the things that you can do if you are moved by this is that every Tuesday morning there is either a Sheriff's Oversight Committee hearing or a police commissioner hearing for the LAPD, and you can show up and see exactly what it is that we're talking about. You can see these panels of civilians who are supposed to have oversight over these uh, law enforcement officers and agencies, and you can hear the pain and the sorrow and the just unbelievable grief from the victims of the shootings of the families of the, of the, of the victims, these uh, folks who've been just executed by the police in many instances. And you can be there and you can hold them to account. You can stare them in the face and you can demand an explanation. You're not going to get one, but you can demand it from them anyway. And it feels cathartic, but it does also, it's, it's, it is a very uh, difficult experience. I've been to a number of them at this point and it's you, you, Will probably be shaking after giving testimony at one of these things because you're going to sit there and you'll you'll see either Michael Moore or uh, does does Alex actually uh, Alex Villanueva is he actually there when they're having the civilian oversight board?
1: He's supposed to, and I know they do show up at some, but I think the the thing that catches my eye whenever I watch the public comments is standing right next to the podium is a cop with a gun. All the cops. That's a pretty that's a pretty clear sight. It's like three. Yeah, and they're standing right next to the podium like they can just grab and you in and push out you all out. The time. Yeah. I mean, when you're in these
0: when you're in these spaces, you you're there are literally like 5 or 6 cops on the left wall and 5 or 6 cops on the right wall and like four four or five of them on the wall behind you as well as the chief of the police department sitting up on stage. Like it is it is a surreal and just kind of terrifying experience and it's It is something that I don't wish upon anyone, but at the same time, if you want to come down and be a part of that, join the folks from White People for Black Lives, join the folks from Black Lives Matter, join the families of the victims of these shootings and show them the support that they deserve and demand the justice that they deserve. And yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, yeah. so uh, tying uh, tying that uh, cops you guys edition off, uh, we have one more depressing epi- uh, one more depressing segment until we get into the uh, the comedy relief bit. <laughs> uh, but so let's talk about AB five sixteen, which would stop poverty no. towing, or at least attempted to. Uh, but like all good ideas that go to Sacramento, it yeah. gets its guts ripped out in favor of moneyed interests.
0: Yeah. Uh, the quick version, and I'm, I'm kind of running out of energy, so we're not going to go into this in too much depth, but uh, originally AB 516 was going to stop you from being towed if your car had five or more parking tickets, uh, if it had been parked in the same area, the same space for more than 72 hours, or if your uh, registration was out of date by less than six months. Um, but Your vehicle was otherwise legally parked you would not be able to be towed by the city or county or whatever municipality level uh, uh, parking enforcement folks you were dealing with they couldn't tow your car if you had just done one of those things but your car was otherwise legally parked now the only protection that ab 516 provides is if you have five or more unpaid parking tickets the bill will now permit towing Uh, Under the 72-hour rule that had been such a point of contention at the Los Angeles City Council hearing in which it was discussed So now apparently every single member of City Council Aside from Mike Bonin who was the only one who stood up for this uh, For the protection of these folks uh, In the way that 516 was originally envisaged uh, everyone else uh, can now finally get on board with 516 because the the thing they complain the most about is no longer applicable. Um, But uh, the only thing about the 72-hour rule that is just, uh, I I don't understand exactly how this works. Uh, You'll be able to, the the bill will permit towing under the 72-hour rule, but requires the local governments to provide a five-day notice before a tow, which seems like it's more like an eight-day, notice i'm i'm very confused yeah. as to what this is supposed to mean
1: well and also the the other thing is that the 72 hour rule is it isn't triggered by like the city coming by and checking it's triggered by people complaining to 3-1-1 complaint so yeah. you know it, it's going to it, it's going to be an interesting one to see how people try and get around this try people try and get stuff towed anyways uh you and john uh talked last week about how you ran into a mother who had her window broken, and oh, LAPD yeah. rolled up and said, "Oh, this car isn't drivable," and towed away her home. So we know that, like the powers that be, are going to find yeah. ways to tow people's cars, anyways. Her. Yeah, and and punish them for being poor. Uh, we'll keep you updated as this one goes on. I don't think City Council is going to change their mind on opposing 516. It would still provide some relief to people, but it's it's narrowing the band of people who will get protection under it. So. Uh, that well, one is my recollection was that they had
0: passed they had uh, passed the motion on five one six with the uh, with an amendment if my memory is correct that said that they would uh, oppose five one six unless the seventy uh, two hour rule was. Uh, removed from it, so maybe they'll accept it. Maybe they won't. Who knows?
1: Well, we'll see. I mean, when you chatted with uh, Marquis Harris Dawson, like that was his big thing was the seventy-two <laughs> hour rule. Like that was the only thing he really talked about. Um, so we'll see. Maybe they might they might come and like issue a correction or have a vote to uh, to reverse their stance. Uh, we'll have to Who see. Knows? I mean, again, you know, I don't think five sixteen is really high up on their agenda at the moment, but. Hopefully we'll get, we'll get to see they some movement in a at break, least dude. Yeah. <laughs> and at least, you know, at least Sacramento is, uh, trying to do something to help. And they keep shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll see how that one goes forward. Uh, let's go ahead and move into, uh, my new favorite segment, our reading series. Me fail English?
0: That's impossible. <laughs>
1: So the first article I want yeah. to talk about is uh, uh, an article that focuses on Mike Bonin. Uh, and Mike actually said uh, this is one of the highlights of his career is getting called out by uh, Susan Shelley. Now, Susan Shelley wrote this article in the Orange County Register, <laughs> which if you ever want to read like reactionary. Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. Orange County Register, that that has literally nothing to do with the city of Los Angeles. That is a totally different jurisdiction. Why? What is her horse in this race?
1: Well, let's not forget that that Susan Shelley is the uh, vice president of communications for the Howard Jarvis Tax Center, Uh, literally the most reactionary group in all of California responsible for Prop 13 and opposing every good idea that we've ever seen. So (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and lay into Miss Shelley here for her misunderstanding of the way government works, because this is like, for someone who's supposedly well-versed in the workings of government. She has absolutely uh, a lot of misunderstandings about the way things work. So let's, let's go ahead and lay into this. So Shelly starts off very strong. Quote, socialism has arrived in the United States and it's living in an apartment building near you. You know what, oh, Shelly? Yeah. I, I, wish, I wish it did. <laughs> I wish socialism was my next door neighbor. I would be super happy about that.
0: Newsflash to any of our listeners that haven't caught on yet. We are definitely both socialists.
1: I mean, I, I, I consider myself a communist, but at the very least a socialist. <laughs> you know, one is a path to the other. So if socialism moves in next door, I, I'm going to be cooking them some cupcakes and welcoming Hell them yeah. to the neighborhood. Uh, but she continues, Los Angeles... Councilman Mike Bonin is the latest politician to promote a policy based on the belief that privately owned apartments kind of belong to everybody, and the government's job is to distribute them fairly. All right, so let's go ahead and stop here, where nowhere in Bonin's like, proposal for a 2020 this is the ballot measure— tax, right? Yeah, this is about the vacancy tax, but so right. nowhere in his, in his proposal for the, the uh, vacancy tax to be on the 2020 ballot does he claim that the government owns the apartments, right? It's just saying if an apartment is vacant for too long, we will tax you to keep it vacant. Like the landlord still owns it and the landlord can choose to not yeah. rent it and just pay a tax yeah. like the you same way that you can money. choose to not own a car and stop paying your car registration, so uh, she yeah. dropping down a dropping down a or you can a, a, choose to
0: buy a very expensive luxury car and pay more in your vehicle registration because this exactly. is how this works.
1: So dropping down a, a, a few more paragraphs, she continues. "Quote: The cost of housing isn't the only cause of the complex problem that's generally called quote homelessness." And I'm not sure why she puts in square wait, quotes there. W- wait, hold on, wait. hold on.
0: No, I'm I'm yeah. sorry. The it, quote it, that, that homeless? is homeless, you're no, I
1: <laughs> oh, she continues, but set that aside. Politicians who put on a show of anger and call for policies such as rent control and vacancy taxes are ignoring an important basic principle. So, first off, yes, the cost of housing is the cause of homelessness. Like, that's one of the things that we keep coming back to is the number of chronically homeless people on the streets of American cities is going down and has since the first Bush administration. Like, that has been decreasing because we understand that we can deliver services to those people and get them into permanent supportive housing yeah, the people who are caught out the people yeah. who are becoming homeless are people who work and can't afford apartments uh, yep. uh also when she says put on a show of anger and call for policies such as rent control like i i have yet to see Bonin flash any anger in this one he was like hey we've got a lot of unused housing stock let's incentivize people to use that now yeah. she continues in the next paragraph
0: angry about but not this one this one is oh, yeah. just like frustration <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, in, In the next paragraph, quote, private property doesn't belong to the government, and the government can't seize private property or tax the value out of it just because somebody else wants or needs it. Full stop, yes, they can. It's called eminent domain. The government literally can and does do that. It does it all the time. That is literally a power granted to the government in the Constitution. It's right there in black and white on the parchment. Like they can oh. do that. They do do oh, that. Man. And they can tax whatever the hell they want. Does like, she that, not understand wh-
0: how highways get built? Like what the hell?
1: Or, or, And here's the funny thing is, sometimes eminent domain gets used to fund private interests. Like if a developer wants to build a hotel in a seaside in Connecticut, they can literally have the government seize that property for them, which they did, and our Supreme Court found that is perfectly constitutional. So... Shelley so needs to Miss Shelley needs to go back and like read the Constitution again and brush up on like civics one hundred one
0: course yeah, because like on. the
1: government what? can and does do these things all the time. Next paragraph quote: If the government could do that, <laughs> they do do that, and they can do that. But I, I I digress. It could also tax people for having empty bedrooms in their homes or even for unused money in a savings account. The premise is the same. One person's need. Uh, one person's need is a claim on every balance's property. So, like, okay, here's the thing is, you do get taxed on the interest you earn on your savings account. Like, that does get taxed (laughs) as income. So, like, again, that is something the government does. Unless you put it in, like, a Roth IRA or a specially specially structured tax shelter account, the government taxes the money that you're earning in your savings account. So, again yeah like what this is a woman who influences government on. policy. Just remember that, folks. No. She literally influences government policy and doesn't understand the basics of how the government operates.
0: She Next helps paragraph. run a tax organization folks a tax oh, yeah. organization actually let me let me rephrase that. She helps run an anti taxes of any kind organization because they literally just oppose everything straight up like there's no tax. They they're like uh what's his name the guy that like runs around and makes everybody that public Oh a Grover Norquist who goes to Burning yeah, Man by the way guy.
1: another reason I dislike Burning Wait, Man Wait what Oh yeah, him and, <laughs> him and uh, the founder of Burning Man were like really good friends because Burning Man has oh, always had like a very libertarian no. tint to it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to get into that because I could go off on the ecological disaster that is Burning uh, Man, uh, plus all the like uh, rape and sexual harassment that happens there. But we'll save that closer to uh, Burning Man time. Uh, yeah. But uh, to continue in the next uh, paragraph, quote, in a free country, it is not the government's job to go around determining who has more than they need and who needs more than they have and then re- redistributing everything through tax. Taxation or wait, other methods wait. of government force. So, first wait. off, that's how progressive taxation works. The government does do that. It should do that. It's literally. Uh, their redistributing job. income through the tax system is literally why we have progressive taxation I mean, and yeah. how we keep society from collapsing in on itself. And we're doing a terrible job at it, which is why the top <laughs> one-tenth of one tenth of 1% has made all of the money since 2008. She I continues. I don't
0: understand where she's coming from.
1: She's coming from the OC. That's where she's coming from. Uh, She continues, quote, that's called collectivism. It's the idea that everything in society belongs to everybody and the government's role is to make outcomes of everybody's decisions work out in a way that is fair and equal. I'm not even going to touch that one because it has no basis in the market-based incentives that is a vacancy tax.
0: It's not that hard, folks. It's really, like, this is like the minimal impact way of dealing with the situation. It's like, would you rather pay a little bit more of a tax in order to keep your rental unit that could otherwise be rented out? Like, do you want to pay more to keep that off the market or do you want to pay more uh, in other taxes to take care of all of the homeless people that you're not supporting because you're a greedy asshole?
1: Uh, so she continues. Uh, to skip a uh, paragraph. No, oh, hold <laughs> on. It, on. This dude. is, is going to be a painful journey, <laughs> oh, but uh, skipping down no. a paragraph. Quote, this is beyond the kind of general taxation we that done. pays for a safety net. This is, the punitive, this is a punitive targeted tax aimed at people who are in the business of rental housing, and it might drive them right out of it. So, okay. Go yes, for it. it get it, it, out of it, the business.
0: This, if you don't want to be in it, get out.
1: But also the other thing is, this is exactly to pay for the safety net. Like that's where the vacancy tax revenue would go. Yes, is to the exactly. safety net. Uh, and also, like she just said that she hates taxes in general, so I'm not sure why she's standing for the safety net. But even beyond no, that, saying it's a punitive targeted tax, like tax it is, it's a punitive targeted tax in the same way that we have other punitive targeted taxes, like yeah, the, like on the, cigarettes. Yes, and like trying to like get people to to behave differently by incentivizing them health, to do something you tax different. Tax more,
0: exactly. And also.
1: Here's the thing is where she's like, it might put people out of business in the rental housing market. Well, they could just rent the unit for money. Like, <laughs> they would they would get money in the for business, renting it. They folks. wouldn't rent it for free. They would just get money for renting the unit. It uh-huh. might be less than they want, <laughs> right? But it, they'd still be getting money for that, which is still I, a net benefit over paying money for having something yeah. sitting empty. Uh, She then continues, uh, quote, other cities are trying similar policies. Voters in Oakland approved a vacant property tax in November. A property that is, quote, not in use for 50 days or more each year is subject to a fee of $6,000 per parcel with the money going to fund homeless services, new affordable housing, and the reduction of blight. Now, I don't know what that has to do with, like, the vacant homes tax, Uh, Because it's not really the same, but it also shows that these kind of taxes are popular with voters, so that's good to know come November Mm -hmm. 2020. Continuing on that same thought, she says, quote, but some property owners say they'd be happy to build on the vacant land if the local government didn't make it prohibitively expensive to do so. She continues, one landowner who's growing potatoes on Uh the site he bought with a plan to build a duplex said Oakland city officials told him city permits for the building would cost $35,000 and take a full year to process. She provides no evidence for that. She just says a guy told her that. There's no evidence. There's no documentation. She's just taking this dude at his word. So we can totally trust that because why would you produce evidence, uh, when you're making a really bold, ridiculous claim like that? (laughs) Let's even assuming that that's true. Even assuming that's true. This guy is talking about a $5 million build for a duplex and he's complaining that $35,000 is too much for permits. Just, you know, he's got millions of dollars to drop on a duplex build, uh, including all of the stuff that would have to go into prepping a vacant lot for that kind of building, but like 35 Mm -hmm. grand is too much? I'm sorry. All right. uh, She continues. We'll drop down (laughs) another
0: paragraph. No, Stop. How
1: much longer
0: is this going to go on? Oh,
1: we're getting towards the end. Uh, uh, Quote, another factor in the housing crunch is the state's policy discouraging development in outlying areas where land is more affordable. Because of the belief that California must, quote, lead, scare quotes on lead for some reason, on climate policy... Hold on, she I explains, mean, lead is in quotation marks because nobody is following, which F you? everyone in the country oh, follows our cafe fun. standards. California increased fuel efficiency standards, and every state did the same thing because the car makers the literally made it happen because they realized oh. California is the biggest, hou- ca- uh, sorry, California's the biggest car market in the nation.
0: We are also the biggest <laughs> housing market because we are of reasons, but yes. Uh, and and, and she continues,
1: market. yeah. Well, and as uh, we are the leader in everything, but I, I digress. Yes. Uh, as she continues. <laughs> The state frets over a metric Sadly, called "quote vehicle miles traveled." If the environmental yeah. impact report for a proposed housing project finds that people will, lively dro- will likely drive long distances to work, yeah. the whole project can become infeasible because we yeah. don't want people driving a lot stop. because it burns carbon, <laughs> because it puts emissions exactly. into the air, because it's bad for the environment. It creates traffic, cars, and because create it a sucks for people waste. to be stuck in traffic for like three hours a day commuting each way. Like, stop it! Just stop and that it! Actually, what? Long, long commutes increase the number of car accidents and actually shorten your lifespan. So, yes, the And state increases has a the risk in of interest. domestic
0: violence. That is definitely yeah. a thing that there have been studies about. And it is true. The state has a
1: vested interest in making sure that you're not caught in traffic too much for a number of reasons. But her whole like screed against like we shouldn't care about the, the environment is just kind of an amazing one, especially when we know that like cutting down car trips is good for everyone. Like that's not even debated. And the fact that she's like, I can't believe the government would measure a thing that has an impact on people's lives. What does the government think it's here to do? Protect the general welfare, as it says in the effing constitution. (sighs) <sighs> All right. We're, last two paragraphs here. Don't worry, Chris. No, the pain will be over here come soon. Come on, man. No, last two paragraphs. They're short. So, quote, other factors in the tightening market include the growing use of u- of units as short-term rentals on services such as Airbnb and a significant Bennett. amount of foreign investment, especially from China, in residential real estate. Ban it, too. Taxing Taxing vacancies won't fix any of that, but politicians are short-term thinkers, and long-term damage is somebody else's problem. If they rented these jobs, they'd never get their security deposit back. Joke's on you, Susan. Nobody gets their security deposit back. (laughs) But here's the other thing. Vancouver (laughs) showed us that using a vacancy tax... Cuts literally down fixes all of these in your residential market <laughs> that was literally who was targeted was investment firms from china buying up residential real estate and then not renting it
0: somebody didn't do their like- homework
1: well Somebody of course straight not. Up
0: didn't do their homework.
1: Of course not. If if the Howard Jarvis Tax Center did their homework, we uh. wouldn't have Prop thirteen. If the Howard <laughs> Jarvis Tax Center did their homework, they would be like, oh no, taxes are good and how we pay for society. Uh. But instead we have Susan Shelley here who just babbles nonsense, outright lies throughout the course of her piece, and for some reason gets published in the Orange County Register, who I guess just doesn't have editors like at all. Or, if like, they do
0: have editors, they just don't have any any editorial standards
1: i mean it's it's uh it, 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 just an insane amount of babble that she put out here, and all of it like easily just proven by just a, a couple of minutes on google
0: but by, by the way, the whole thing where she's talking about like the vacancy taxes aren't going to have any inter- any impact on like short term rentals. Uh, no bullshit. What happens if you choose to just not count short-term rentals as actually using the property for the intent that it has when it was established as like a long-term rental, the way it was supposed to be marketed? If you if you charge a landlord a vacancy tax because you say nah, if you are just doing short-term rentals, that that's that doesn't actually count as fulfilling the vacancy like it is not filled it is not a long-term rental therefore we're going to continue to charge you a vacancy tax that will make the things like Airbnb which are making such a massive impact in neighborhoods like Venice and across the rest of the city of Los Angeles it will make those completely untenable and that frankly is a good thing because you shouldn't yes. be using short term rentals like Airbnb on any long term rental stock. Because every single unit that you take off of the long term rental stock and you put it toward a short term rental, that is one family's housing rental that you are denying. That is one more shortage of rentals that we have available in this city, which is contributing in a very very direct way to the ho- current housing shortage and homelessness crisis that we're going through and frankly just oh,
1: yeah no yeah. so <laughs> so I'm, it just I'm it-
0: lost for words here <laughs>
1: Yeah no we're we're going to come back and talk about uh some more of uh Susan Shelley's pieces in the future I can just feel it. Uh she is basically the anti-knock writer. Uh her and Jack Humphreyville are going to be rich yes. for us to draw from. Uh, Jack
0: Humphreyville haven't read any of his pieces in it's, a while. It's
1: we're going to we're going to drag the boomers. It's going to be so much fun. But so yeah. uh this one <laughs> I have pretty much yelled myself out on this one. Uh uh this is Henry I Kissinger. think Yeah, we'll move on to that one in a second. But I was going to say, I think this is not my my most aggrieving journalistic malpractice I've seen this week. The SF Chronicle article uh, that you sort of mentioned about uh, about the 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 HUD HUD situation. That one, we'll post the link to that one so your jaw can just hit the floor because watching reactionaries simply lie and still get published in major publications. I mean, I, I know there aren't a lot of pressure points for the, the folks that own the Orange County Register, uh, but my Buddha, if you can just take a minute to read this stuff and write a very angry letter to them, it might get published. Mm-hmm. Uh Susan Shelley, I wish you the best, and I hope you keep publishing because this is going to be so much free content for us to just draw from and mock you. Um, If you want to avoid that, just stop writing stuff.
0: The listeners are just going to get really annoyed at the fact that I'm just sitting here laughing at the complete incompetence of this writer.
1: As, as Camus stated, absurdity is the first rule. And on that note, Hooray. let's talk real quickly about our. our <laughs> what was? Hold on. What was the deadspin? What was their? Uh, the deadspin article's was title, title was again?
0: quote ancient war goblin Henry Kissinger defends Olympics in Los Angeles Times, end quote.
1: Yeah, so Henry Kissinger wrote an article in the LA Times op-ed section uh, that's entitled, For a More Peaceful Vision of the Future, Look to the Olympics. Uh, Ah, And it is Nothing like listening to
0: a war criminal tell you about peaceful visions of the future, folks.
1: And this one, like, I'm not going to go through paragraph by paragraph on this one, but it's an amazing uh, uh, just... uh, uh, hagiography of the Olympics that lies and elides the truth. He uh, praises Baron Pierre de Coubertin, who was the guy who started the Olympics. He calls him a French educator and historian, which he wasn't. He was an aristocrat who didn't have a real job. Uh, De Coubertin also was a French nationalist who felt that the French were getting soft and weak and needed to be rebuilt through competition. He believed that women were too psychologically and physically frail to to compete in these sorts of sports. Uh, and so he created the Olympics. He also aligns the fact serious, that like, oh, like
0: Teddy Roosevelt shit here.
1: Oh yeah. And he elides the fact that like a lot of the Olympic ceremonies and traditions that we think about came out of Nazi Germany, you know, oh, the torch yeah. rally was created by the Nazis. Yeah. Uh, the whole March of Thanks, Nations Hitler. is very nationalistic. There are deep connections between the military industrial complex and our Olympics machine. Uh, deep Come connections on. between like physical, psychological, and sexual abuse of athletes as we keep finding out more and more and more Jeez. of I'm looking at U USC, I'm looking at you University of Michigan. Apparently, now I'm also yeah. looking at UCLA uh, so because I University guess of you know Michigan
0: or Michigan State. I think it was Michigan State.
1: Oh Michigan. Well he he was at both of them, but he was at Michigan State. But he yeah. he uh, treated uh, student a- or he Ugh. saw student athletes from from both universities. Like- uh, UCLA also has apparently a sexual assaulting gynecologist, uh, which like Wait, we've got him holy at both sh- of the schools. Yeah, UCLA also had one because Come you can't on. have that intertown rivalry without you know trying no. to one up each other, I guess. No, but the one quote that I did want to uh, highlight here before uh, we move before we uh, uh, move on yeah. to sort of wrapping this out was Henry Kissinger said, "quote I have now lived through forty six Olympic games, and quite frankly, that's a travesty. Like Henry Kissinger <laughs> should not have lived through forty six <laughs> Olympic games, at least not in freedom. Like if he's lived through forty six yeah. Olympic games." In and the twenty Hague. of them were in the Hague. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, that would be the best. Um, Fair but enough. you you pulled uh, a quote from uh, Deadspin real quick, and I think this yeah. is just a really good note to end on.
0: Quote: Long enough too that his continued existence feels almost like a kind of taunt. The man behind some of the most cynically conceived and brutally executed wars in human. History, who instrumentalized and pursued power in the most transparently self-serving ways, and at staggering human cost, has somehow stuck around long enough to be allowed to tell stories about unity and peace. End quote.
1: <sighs> That—that's pretty much all you need to know about Mister Kissinger and his uh, opinions on the Olympics. Why is he not dead uh- yet? And, and, you know, to, to tie a bow onto this one, when Henry Kissinger, a, a member of the International Olympic Committee, just oh, yeah. goes to the Olympics, not to work, just to visit the Olympics and, like, be there while the, the Olympic Games mm-hmm. are happening, he gets a per diem of $900 a day. One oh. day of him sitting around eating fruit plates at the Olympics earns Wonderful. him more money than you probably make in a week at your job before or after taxes. Amazing. Um, <sighs> I don't have I don't have too much to report on right now as far as like stuff to do. I know there's going to be a lot of stuff coming up uh yeah. next week in LA. Uh keep an eye on ground game. We've got our weekly team assemblies every Thursday evening in Hollywood starting at 7:30. Uh you can hit up the Facebook week, uh this Facebook uh, sorry, you can July, hit up the so. Oh, that's right. It is the 4th of July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting that. I don't really pay a lot of attention to off. national holidays. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm Go a big fan of the steel Have
0: some beer, folks. Yes, fair enough. That's totally fair. <laughs>
1: but at, other than the 4th of July, you can always catch Ground Game in Hollywood uh, Thursdays at uh, 7.30 in the evening. Uh, please drop by, see what we're up to. Uh, we'll also be publishing our calendar. We've kind of been doing a website refresh, so more and more stuff is going to be coming online. You can always hit up knock.la to see the amazing stuff that's being published, There's so much content article. this last week. Yeah, an article by uh, Spike Friedman, who is our editor-in-chief and also at the Luskin School of Public Policy. Uh, he wrote a really good one about services, not sweeps. Uh, we've had a yeah. bunch of really good stuff coming out lately. Uh, Jacob Wucher continues to just spit fire <laughs> on housing issues across L.A. and earning the ire of reactionaries who continue oh, to, to claim that oh, like we're funded by AHF and we're some like nefarious oh, yeah. dark money group, which like Come looking on, at my money, bank folks. account... I kind of, you know, God, I wish I was a dark money funded, like billionaire, because like that would probably be different than like fighting for justice and being broke. But given the choice, I'd rather be broke and fighting for justice. So, Chris, go ahead and take us out.
0: As always, if you guys have any events that you want us to publicize, take part in or generally be made aware of, please visit our website at www.groundgamela.org. Or visit our Facebook page and send us a message there. Or go ahead and just send an email over to us at podcast at groundgamela.org. And as always, thank you very much for listening. We genuinely support. Uh, we, we appreciate all the support from you guys. And we wouldn't be able to do this without it. So uh, hit us up. We've got an ActBlue account now over, instead of our Crowd account account that had been uh shut down because crowd pack is apparently no longer in business uh but if you hit us up on uh on ground game la on twitter you'll find a quick link over to our act blue site and uh every dollar that you donate does a huge amount to keep us going uh that's how we pay the rent uh that's how we keep doing this stuff and uh keep organizing and bringing the fight to the folks at City Hall and uh, the Board of Commissioners and the Sheriff's Department Oversight and the Police Department Commissioners and all these other places that were showing up all the time, uh, kick us a donation, please. We're going to just keep begging.
1: <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, as as Joe Hill said, don't spend no time mourning. Organize. Y'all have yourselves Absolutely. a great
0: week. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye.
1: C'mon! 30, 10 more! Anonymous! Sorry! Better to connect! 30, 10 more!
0: 30, 30, 10 more! 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 More!